Acts chapter number 6. If you're physically able with me this morning, if you'll stand for the reading of God's Word, Acts chapter number 6, we'll allow the children to be dismissed this morning. Acts chapter number 6, let's begin in verse number 8. Actually, you know what, let's just just read the whole chapter. Acts chapter number 6, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called unto the multitude, excuse me, called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Now some would disagree uh, regarding this passage. I believe the, these seven men that are chosen were the first deacons. Some disagree with that, and that's okay. But the word serve there in verse number 2 is the same word translated deacons in First Timothy chapter number 3. I think it's interesting in verse 2, this is not the message, but the apostle said it is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. A lot of people today have a wrong view of what the pastor is supposed to do. We ought to know what the Bible says and what the pastor is supposed to do. A lot of people get upset and get irate and get irked because they think the pastor is supposed to do something he's not supposed to do. And we ought to know what the Bible says about the pastor's responsibilities. Verse number 3, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer, and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and uh, Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased. Notice, notice what happens. Again, this isn't the message, but notice what happens when everyone's doing their part. When everyone's involved in doing what they're supposed to be doing in the ministry of the local church, the Bible says, and the Word of God increased. Why? Because the apostles uh, had set other men in positions to serve, and now the Bible says the Word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. I think that's interesting. Even priests were being saved. They they were coming to Christ because of everything that was going on there in the church. Verse 8, this is really where I wanted us to get. And Stephen, and that's who we're going to speak about today, the man Stephen. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they suborned men which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They they hired people to lie, to suborn, to 
to speak falsehoods, if you will. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against against this holy place and the law. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. We could take verse 15 and go in a lot of different directions, but based upon what we've been speaking about recently, I want to bring us a message. I want to speak to us for the next few moments on this subject. This man, excuse me, talking about Stephen, this man knew how to plow. This man knew how to plow. Father, teach us and help us today. Father, if there would be one here today without Christ, Father, may they be saved. May your Holy Spirit stir their hearts and bring them to that very threshold of salvation today. Father, for believers today, may you convict and encourage, challenge, whatever the need would be. Father, may you work in our hearts and our lives today. And we'll thank you and praise you for it. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Our theme comes from Luke chapter 9, verse number 62 this year. Our theme for the year is hands to the plow. Luke chapter 9, and verse number 62, the Bible says, And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. In the text there, in Luke chapter number 9, really verses 57 through 62, Christ is demonstrating and declaring that discipleship requires complete commitment. This past Friday night, I listened to a message from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And the evangelist so clearly laid out the case that Christ doesn't demand a sacrifice, which is amazing or spectacular, but a sacrifice, Romans 12, 1, a sacrifice which is simply reasonable. And that truth marries perfectly with our text this morning as we continue to speak of hands to the plow. Our modern day Christianity is so skewed in its view of service that when someone shows reasonable service, we believe it to be something extraordinary. Think with me for a moment. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, when they're thrown in that fiery furnace in the book of Daniel, They were not displaying some spectacular service or commitment to God. It was just reasonable. Joseph, in Potiphar's house and in the prison, when he refused to be tempted by Potiphar's wife, in the prison when he still did everything that he should do, the the prison guard put everything into his hand, we would look at Joseph and say, what a man. And by the way, what a man. I would agree with that. Hebrews chapter 11, Joseph is there. But we would say, what a man. What a great man of faith. But you know what? In in heaven's eyes, heaven would say, it's just reasonable. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, in verse number 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies, that's the key, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. 
holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Joshua and Caleb in Numbers chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 14, when the twelve spies come back and ten of them, they speak about all the good things there in the land, but then they say, nevertheless, nevertheless, the giants, they're giants there, the cities are walled and the walls are fortified. Joshua and Caleb, the Bible says Caleb stilled the people. And Joshua and Caleb said, no, 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 we, we can go take it. Let's go take it now. We would say, what men? But in heaven's eyes, God would say, just reasonable. Just re-. You see, we have a skewed view of what reasonable service is. We have a skewed view of what serving the Lord Jesus Christ means. And Stephen, in Acts chapter number 6 and Acts chapter number 7, really lays that bare for us today. And Stephen, just as countless other men and women in the Scriptures and down throughout the ages, they have exampled to us that there are men and women who know how to plow. There are men and women who know how to put their hand to the plow and how to keep it there. And how to be committed and how to be faithful. Oh, we would say, Stephen, what a man. He gave his life. He, he was martyred for the cause of Christ. And yes, he was. But in heaven's eyes, just reasonable. Because he's just doing what I ask him to do. He's just doing what he ought to do based upon what Christ has already done for him. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This man knew how to plow. And I ask us this morning, the challenge for us as believers today is in no way a challenge of condemnation, but it is a challenge of consideration this morning. We often have such thin skin when it comes to our commitment to our Savior. May we today follow the example of Stephen. May we be men and women who know how to plow. Who know how to put our hand to the plow. And no matter what comes, we're going to stay at it. I want to show you three things or three truths if I could hear from really from Acts chapter number 7, a little bit from Acts chapter number 6 as well. But from Acts chapter number 7 this morning as we speak to this subject, this man knew how to plow. Number one this morning, I want us to see the courage of which Stephen possessed. The courage of which Stephen possessed. We know what courage means. We've mentioned it so often, you're probably tired of it mentioned it so often in the past several months, but the courage of which Stephen possessed, courage is simply faith in God's promises. Hey, Jaden, you need to sit up, sweetie, okay? It's not time to go to sleep. It's time to sit up all the way up. Put your back up against the pew, okay? Right, sit up and listen. Courage is faith in God's promises. And the Bible says very clearly, and we saw it in Acts chapter number 6, the Bible says in verse number 5, it begins to list... Uh, this uh, group of men that were chosen to help serve tables. Whether you believe they were the first deacons or not, there were seven men who were chosen. And the Bible says, as it speaks about the man Stephen, it says that he was a man full of what? Full of faith 
and of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in verse number 8, And Stephen, full of what? Faith and what? Power. Full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. The courage of which Stephen possessed. First of all, Stephen's faith, and this is what courage is. Stephen's faith was in God's promises. Stephen's faith was based in God's promises. By the way, is there anywhere else we can place our faith as Christians? Now, I know we can place our faith in other areas, but as Christians, my faith ought to be placed in God's promises. And when they are, that gives me courage. Courage to do what God's Word says. Courage is not, again, we've said it so many times, courage is not physique. Courage is not something I work up within myself. Courage is simply saying, okay, God doesn't lie. God's Word is always true. The Bible says that God is not a man that He should lie. In Titus 1, verse number 2, it says God cannot lie. So if God cannot lie, and I have God's Word, and I hold it in my hands, then I can trust it. I can have faith in it. I can have faith in His promises. First of all, Stephen's faith was based in God's promises, the courage of which Stephen possessed. Secondly, Stephen's face was in God's presence. Did you notice verse number 15 when we read it a moment ago? Stephen's faith was in God's promises, but Stephen's face was in God's presence. There's another time in the Scriptures where it says a man's face shone. Anybody remember who that was, who the man was? It was Moses. When did that happen? After he had been upon the mount with God, after he had been in the presence of God, the Bible says he came off of that mount and his face shone. He didn't even realize it. He didn't even know that his face was, was so shiny. But, but when he came on the people, the people saw it. The people knew. And the Bible says he had to put a veil on his face. His face shone so brightly. Look, his faith, Stephen's faith was in God's promises. Pastor, I want to have courage. Then have faith in God's promises. By the way, if you'll have faith in God's promises, people will look at you and say, man, he has courage. Hey, mom and dad, when you, when you train your children according to the Word of God, people will look and say, well, they have courage. Believer, when you give 10% of your income every month, or maybe 20, or whatever you give, and you give it to God because God said that's what you ought to do, That's courage, because sometimes it takes a lot of faith, doesn't it? But God is always true. His promises are always right. And so we can have faith in God's promises. Stephen's faith was based in God's promises. Stephen's face was in God's presence. The Bible says there in verse number 15 of chapter 6, and all that sat in the council, the council, the Bible says they, they, they take him. They, verse 12, they stirred up the people and then the council, they caught him and they brought him. And all that said in the council, verse number 15, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. His face was in God's presence. Hey, listen, there ought to be a difference on the face of an individual who is constantly in the presence of God. It ought not be gloom and doom and I just sucked on a lemon. Right? But I'm going to tell you, hey, choir, does it ever look that way when you're singing and you're looking out? (laughs) 
I dare you to do something for me today. I dare you to make me smile. Hey, we're children of the Most High God. We have everything to smile about. We're children of the Most High God. We have everything to be happy about and we have every reason to spend time in His presence. With my face in His presence. His faith was based in God's promises. His face was in God's presence. And because of that, thirdly, Stephen was full of God's power. Back up in verse number 8 of chapter 6. The Bible says in Stephen, full of faith and power. Now I understand the, the days of the apostles are gone. But by the way, Stephen wasn't an apostle. But God gave him the power. He said he did great wonders and miracles among the people. The Bible says that these priests and the council, they stirred up people against him because they didn't like what they heard. They didn't like the name Jesus of Nazareth. They didn't like to hear about Jesus Christ. The Bible says in verse 14, For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses Excuse me, Moses delivered us, yes, because now they're no longer, they're in a different age now, they're in the church age. They're in the church age now, the, the, the temple's going to be destroyed. They didn't like that. Number one, the courage of which Stephen possessed. He had faith in God's promises, his faith was in God's presence. And because of that, he was full of God's power. By the way, the Bible says, in verse number 10 of chapter 6, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Why? Because he had been in God's presence. He had been in God's presence. And they could not resist the wisdom. Why? Because he knew God's word, the spirit by which he spake. He was full of God's power. Number one, the courage of which Stephen possessed. But number two, the commitment by which Stephen plowed. Number one, the courage of which Stephen possessed. But number two, the commitment by which Stephen plowed. In chapter number seven, chapter number seven is just a message. It's a sermon. Stephen stands up before that council. The council brings him in and, and he's going to have opportunity to speak. And What an opportunity! You're, you're going to ask me to speak? Well, I'm going to speak! In Acts chapter number 7, verse 1, then said the high priest, Are these things so? The accusations that have been made at the latter part of chapter number 6, Are these things so? And he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, excuse me, fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I shall show thee. And here's what Stephen's going to do. Stephen's going to start at the beginning, and he's just going to give him a history lesson of the nation of Israel. He's going to talk about Abraham. He's going to talk about David. Men that these individuals would have known about. By the way, I think it's wonderful. He talks about Abraham. He talks about David. And the Bible speaks about both of them that they're saved. In Romans chapter number 4, they were saved by faith. It wasn't because they were a great patriarch. It wasn't because they were one of the, the, the men in the Old Testament. It wasn't because God had given them a covenant per se. It was by faith that they were saved, just like we're saved today. The people in the Old Testament weren't saved any differently than we are today. They were saved by belief, just like we are today. 
We're not saved any different than the Old Testament folks. They were looking forward to the cross and we get to look back at the cross. It's already happened. And so here in Acts chapter number 7, I'm not going to read the entirety of the chapter to you this morning. But beginning here in chapter number 7, Stephen just begins to expound. And speak about the, uh, the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac in verse number 8 and Jacob. In verse number 9, he speaks about Joseph being sold into Egypt. It speaks about everything that God did for the nation of Israel in bringing them out of Egypt. The great plagues, the great arm with which He brought them out. The Bible says in verse number 18, He says, Till another king arose, which knew not Joseph. Verse 20, In which time Moses was born, and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And so he speaks about the history of Israel. Speaks about their history, something they would have known about. Comes down toward the end of the chapter. Verse number 37. Verse 36, it speaks about the Red Sea. Verse number 37, This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren. Like unto me, him shall you hear. Moses spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses spoke of that great prophet that would come. In verse number 38, This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in, the, in Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. To whom our fathers, notice this, get ready to land the plane. Hey, he's done taking the plane up above and he's, he's, been, he's been flying at 30,000 feet now and now he's getting ready to bring it home. And he said, listen, y'all wouldn't even obey Moses. Y'all speak about the law? Y'all don't like this Jesus Christ because you say He's going to take away all of your customs in chapter number 6, verse number 14, which Moses delivered unto us? You're angry about that? You wouldn't even obey Him. You didn't even obey the oracles that He gave to you. To whom our fathers would not obey, verse 39, but thrust Him from them, and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt, saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we woke not what has become of him. They made a calf in those days, and offered sacrifice unto the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave up, excuse me, gave them up to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Rimphan, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus, that's speaking of Joshua there, into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him an house, howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? And here he goes. 
the commitment by which Stephen plowed. Stephen was not afraid of the audience. He was not afraid of the audience. Back in chapter, at the first part of chapter number 7, in verse number 2, he's before the council. We know that in chapter number 6. But in verse number 2, he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, he's speaking to the council, he's speaking to the priest. In verse number 1, we know the high priest is there. The high priest asked the question, Are these things so? Well, I'm going to tell you these things are so. You wouldn't even obey Moses. You're worried about his customs. And this place, this temple, you wouldn't even obey him. You see, here's the truth. Stephen was not afraid of the audience. Stephen was pointed in his preaching. Because he was not afraid of the audience, he was pointed in his preaching. You say, Pastor, I'm not a preacher. I understand that, but all of us get to preach. All of us get to... Stephen's standing before the council. He's not standing before a church service preaching. He's standing before a council of wicked religious men. And he was pointed in his preaching. Why? Because he was not afraid of the audience. You know how many times we take our hands off the plow? Because we're afraid of the audience. We're afraid of what a family member is going to say. Well, don't you get, hey, hey, don't you get too wrapped up in that religion. Don't you get too wrapped up in the church. Don't you get too wrapped up in serving. And we're afraid of what family's going to say. Take our hands off the plow for a while. No, he wasn't afraid of the audience. He was pointed in his preaching. What did he preach? He preached the worthiness of God and the wickedness of man. That's what he preached. You want to break it down into it? He preached the worthiness of God. By the way, their God. Do you see that in verse, uh, verse number, verse number two? The God of glory. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham. It's the God of glory. He's our God, and we wouldn't obey him. He preached the worthiness of God and the wickedness of man. He was not afraid of the audience. He was pointed in his preaching. He was devoted unto death. He was not afraid of the audience. He was pointed, excuse me, in his preaching. And he was devoted unto his death. Stephen had a commitment by which he plowed. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I don't know. I don't know if Stephen knew when he stood up before that council what was going to happen. But I kind of think he had a little inkling of what was going to end up happening. If I stand and say what I know I should say and what the Holy Spirit's going to lead me to say, I know probably what's going to happen. These folks aren't going to like it. Verse number 51. You know when the preacher says, I'm almost done? They lie, don't they? You lie! Stephen's almost done. And he's going to bring it home. In verse number 51, notice what he says. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Ye do always resist 
the Holy Ghost. By the way, so much for the Calvinists that say, yeah. So much for the Calvinists that say you can't resist the Holy Ghost. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before, notice this, of the coming of the just one. Who's the just one? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the just and the justifier, Romans chapter 3 says. Of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. He said, look, the prophets. Which of the prophets did you not persecute? They spoke of the just one that would come. They spoke of the Christ who would come. They spoke of the Messiah who would come. And by the way, He has come. And you betrayed and murdered Him. Now again, we know He voluntarily laid His life down. But Stephen said, look, you betrayed Him. Barabbas! Barabbas! Let Barabbas go! So what are you going to do with this Christ who's innocent? Crucify Him! Stephen said, you betrayed and murdered Him. Who have received the law by the disposition... Notice this again, he says it again. He said in verse number 39, to whom our fathers would not obey. And then in verse number 53, who have received the law by the disposition of angels. Dear, dear Israel... You received the law, you received the oracles of God by the disposition of angels. And notice what he says, and have not kept it. If an angel came and spoke to you, would you believe what he said? I don't know, would we? He said, you've received the law by the disposition of angels and you still haven't kept it. Why, why are you complaining about this? Why are you complaining about me and about what I preach about Jesus of Nazareth and what he said while he was here? You, you, you're up in arms about Moses and about the law and about everything that Moses gave you and about Moses and Moses. But you wouldn't even listen to Moses. You wouldn't even listen to the oracles, the law that were given to Moses. Notice what happens in verse 54. You know the story. You know what happened? Conviction set in. The Bible says they were cut to the heart. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. By the way, why were they cut to the heart? Because they were guilty. Just like when the Holy Spirit comes to us and we're guilty, it cuts us to the heart, doesn't it? Because we know. The Word of God and the Holy Ghost working in tandem, it cuts us to the heart. And whether we want to admit it whether we want to acknowledge it or confess or get angry, we're still guilty. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And notice this. Notice the anger and the vitriol with which they came upon Stephen. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. And by the way, I don't believe that's talking about they were, they were slandering him. I, don't believe, I believe they were biting on him. They were gnashing at him with their teeth. They were so angry. How dare you speak to us that way? How dare you say that we killed the just one? But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, 
looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Oh, it wasn't done yet. Ah, what did you just say? Stephen said, I see the heavens opened and I see him standing on the right hand of God. Ah, blasphemy! That's exactly what they're thinking. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. And ran upon him with one accord, cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God. And by the way, not them calling upon God, Stephen was calling upon God. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down, cried with a loud voice, Lord... Lay not this sin to their charge. Anybody remember another statement similar? Jesus Christ on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen ready to be ushered into glory. He says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Number one, the courage of which Stephen possessed. And he possessed it because he simply had faith in God's promises. He possessed it it because his face was constantly in God's presence. Because of that, he was full of God's power. Number two, the commitment by which Stephen plowed. He was not afraid of the audience. He was pointed in his preaching. He preached God's worthiness and man's wickedness. He was devoted even unto death. Reasonable. Reasonable. Kind of makes us wonder why we take so lightly the things that go on in this place. Kind of makes us wonder, doesn't it? Why we can come up with excuses so easily not to do things for Christ. Makes us wonder, doesn't it? Makes me wonder. Because the truth is, it's just our reasonable service. I don't have anybody waiting outside the door ready to charge upon me and gnash upon me with their teeth because of what's been preached today. Stephen did. And if heaven's voice could speak, It would say, not spectacular, not extraordinary, just reasonable. Just what he should have done. Now, let me ask you this. Will heaven honor him and did heaven honor him? Oh, absolutely. That's number three. Number three, the crown with which Stephen was presented. The courage of which Stephen possessed, the commitment by which Stephen plowed, And thirdly, the crown with which Stephen was presented. Pastor, I didn't see a crown anywhere in those passages that you read. Would you go back with me to verse 54? Or excuse me, verse 55. Bible says, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God in Jesus, standing on the right hand of God. 
and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. What was the crown? What was the crown? Jesus stood up to receive him home. Because where does Jesus normally, what is his position? He sits at the right hand of God. The Bible says, Stephen said, I see the heavens opened, and I see Jesus standing, the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God, on the right hand of the Father. He's not sitting, he's standing. He's welcoming him home. He's standing to welcome him home. This man knew how to plow. This man knew how to keep his hands to the plow. And he did so until his death. Is that us today? Look, I'm thankful for the comforts we have in America. I'm thankful for that. But at the same time, It has made us so soft. It has made us so complacent. It has made us so unwilling to actually reasonably sacrifice for God. Well, that's just too much. That's just too... That's just too much of my time to give to the church... Don't say it that way. You're not giving it to the church. You're giving it to God who gave Himself for the church. That's too much. I want to read you a little. Maybe some of you have read this letter before. I want to read you the letter. How many of you know who Adoniram Judson was? He's a missionary in Burma and India. He wrote a letter. He met a young lady and fell in love with a young lady named Anne Hasseltine. And he wrote her father a letter asking for his permission to marry her. And I want you to listen to the letter. He says, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to, excuse me, to see her no more in this world. You say, they didn't have FaceTime. He said, whether you can consent, this is back in the early 1800s. He said, whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to, excuse me, to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this? Hey, Adoniram, you're not making your case. You're not helping yourself out. She's my little girl. Can you, excuse me, can you consent to all this? For the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you. For the sake of perishing immortal souls. For the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory? 
with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathens saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Let me ask you, daddies that still have daughters at home, what would you say to that letter? But her daddy said yes and let his daughter go. And she did die on the mission field. And he did never see her again on this earth, but he did get to see her in glory. Super Christians. What amazing Christians. What extraordinary Christians. Just reasonable. Because they looked in the face of their Savior. And they said, if you could do that for me, then what can I not do for you? Kind of shed lights, sheds a light, excuse me, on some of our pettiness, doesn't it? As American Christians. Preacher preached too long. Auditorium was too hot. Seats were too hard. Mm. Kind of doesn't add up, does it? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This man knew how to plow. Do we? Do we know how to put our hands to the plow and keep it there? No matter what comes, no matter what despair, no matter what sorrow, no matter what criticism no matter what sarcastic statements are said, keep our hands to the plow with one goal, with our eyes fixed upon one goal, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and oh yeah, is set down at the right hand of God. But He stood up for Stephen. Reasonable service. We could go on and on and on. All to challenge our believers. All to challenge our hearts today. All to challenge our hearts today. So what excuse do we have for not being able to be present at things at church? What excuse do I have that I can't be at a 920 prayer meeting on Sunday morning? You get to work by 8 o'clock Monday through Friday. So what excuse do I have if I can't be here at 920? Kind of sheds light on it, doesn't it? Reasonable service. Man who knew how to plow. I pray that's all of us this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time you've given us. Help us, Lord. Help us as your children at Maranatha Baptist Church.
to simply perform our reasonable service. Father, we let the things of this world, we let the things of this world so crowd out the things of eternity that when someone actually gives their life to the things of eternity, we think that they're some super Christian when in all actuality they're just being reasonable. God, I, I hope you'll teach us that, not just this morning, but in the days to come. Help us, Lord. We're dust. We're flesh. Father, we need your grace. We need your power to be able to do anything. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Miss Joe's at the piano. Believer, do you need to come? You need to come and say, Father, just forgive me. Just forgive me for not being committed to the plow. Father, forgive me for not being devoted to death. You may not ever ask that of me, but Lord, if you did, I, I, I would pray that I would be like Stephen. That I would be committed to the plow. Because I possess courage based upon your promises. Based upon the fact that I keep my face in your presence all the time. Now, I, I, I mentioned prayer meeting this morning just because that's one illustration. There's many other things I could have mentioned. What are the petty excuses we give for the different things that we miss? Not just at church, but what about the petty excuses when we don't give the gospel to somebody during the week and the Holy Spirit, God Almighty, has placed them right in our path and we fail to present the gospel? We have it so readily. We have, it, we have tracks and we can just place it in their hands. What excuse do we have? Well, I'm not a super Christian. You're not supposed to be. You're supposed to be a reasonable Christian. Hey, teenagers, how about it? How about it, teenagers? Have you committed your hands to the plow? If you haven't, why wouldn't you do that this morning? I'm not asking you to go to the mission field like Adoniram Judson did. That's not what I'm asking you this morning. God may not want you to do that. But I can guarantee you this. God wants more young people to go to the mission field. God wants more young people to preach. God wants more young ladies to be pastor's wives. And God wants more young ladies to be missionary wives than are actually surrendering to do it. Because God is an eternal God. He is not fixated upon the temporal. Does He care about it? Absolutely. Does He care about the temporal things we deal with every day? Absolutely. But He's not fixated upon it like we are many, many times. So how about it, teenager? Have you committed your hands to the plow? 
Lord, I'm just going to be faithful to you. Whatever you call me to do, whatever you want me to do. I do know one thing, Lord. You want me to be obedient to my parents. I know that. And so as long as I'm at home, I'm going to have my hands to the plow committed to be faithful to my mom and dad. Lord, I do know this. I know you want me to be, uh, you've given me the great commission even as a teenager. And so I'm going to put my hands to the plow. And opportunities I have at school to give the gospel or opportunities I have on the ball field or opportunities I have out on Sunday on visit or Saturday on visitation, I'm going to take opportunities to give somebody a track, to give the gospel to tell someone how they can know that they're headed to heaven one day another young person same age as me see teenagers you don't have to wait until you're 25 or 35 don't don't wait don't waste your life don't raise your head up when you're 30 years old and look back and see you've wasted 20 years of your life just doing things that have absolutely no eternal value This man knew how to plow. Anywhere, everywhere, I will follow on, the song says. Is that our hearts? Is that our heart's desire? It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too rainy. comes a little shower it's too rainy to get to church but people will sure go to Walmart for it in the midst of it it come a downpour we're still going to play the football game but I can't make it to church it's too the roads are too wet we need to get rid of the petty excuses this morning and give our reasonable service Pastor, who are you preaching to this morning? I'm preaching to myself. I have way too many petty reasons of why I can't do certain things for the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the time you've given us this morning. Father, thank you most of all for your word. Father, thank you for the example of a man like Stephen who put his hands to the plow just to be a servant of tables. But he didn't stop with that. He was a man who proclaimed your word, stood in front of the council, And with pointed preaching, he lovingly told these individuals what they needed. And what they needed was the just one. What they needed was the very one they had betrayed and murdered. Father, many, and I would say the vast majority of individuals in this room, this auditorium this morning, would give a testimony that they know you. So, Father, this morning, what we need is... We don't need salvation. Most already possess that. What we need this morning is a commitment to the plow. Even if it means unto death. Not fearing the audience. Pointed in our preaching. Even if it means to the death. Father, may you help every single one of us to be reasonable in our service. We'll thank you and praise you for it. Father, please bring us back together tonight. 
ready to hear from your word once again. We'll thank you for it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed.